I did not get to Connie in time, but I will go right to uh, ch- uh, chapter 3, verse uh, 20, uh, 21 as well. And I was going to have it when I did the bulletin last week. I was going to have it so that I take 20 and 21 separately. But I thought, no, we'll be able to bring that through again. And that's why um, 19 is on the screen. But in my text is 21 in my, my message. Let us pray. Our Father, what a great portion of your word. Grant us understanding, Lord, that we might become excited about God's word. Unless the Holy Spirit opens our understanding, Lord, we struggle on our own. And so I pray that he will be free to teach us this morning, to quicken us, so that the word of God will be received from this man as God's word, and that the word of God will work in us so that we might be able to truly come to the fullness of God. This is what the word says, and this is what we believe, and this is what we pray for in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said this morning, Ephesians 3 brings us to the end of the doctrinal portion of what Paul is saying. And if you go through the writings of Paul, he always begins this way. He begins with a foundation, and then he gives us the building. He gives us the, 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 the deep things from which we are to live in practical ways, and this is what we have. So when we get to chapter 4, he's going to begin to bring us into some very practical portion of God's Word. And then he's really going to meddle when he gets to chapter 5. He's going to tell husbands how to live with their wives and wives how to live with their husbands. And um, Paul will probably take that one since he's the perfect husband uh, for (laughs) this one. So I uh, will see how that goes. Uh, That's what he says. That's what he told me that, uh, you know, so that we'll we'll wait until we get to chapter 5. But as an introduction to this text, I want to ask a question. What do you do or how do you react when you see someone with a deficit in their lives or life as the case may be? When you see that there's something missing in a Christian's life that you think ought to be there or they ought to be behaving in a different way. How do you react? What do you think about that person? Let me suggest to you, the level of your maturity as a Christian, the level of your maturity as a Christian will tell by your reaction. The place where you are, where I am in my Christian life, will be revealed when we see someone with a deficit. This is what Paul saw in the Ephesians. There was a deficit, there was something missing. There was something that ought to have been there, but it wasn't there. And so Paul now is writing to these folks, knowing that this this is the case. Uh, I read the story, or I studied it in school years ago, about a young man who claimed to have reached perfection. And, And so the professor said to him, are you telling me that you have risen above the Apostle Paul? And he said, yes, I have. And I thought, wow, when I heard that. If, if, he's not, if he's not deceived, he's so cold, he doesn't even know the difference. 
none of us has reached the place in our Christian life where we are able to deal with the deficits in the lives of other people as we ought to unless God has done something in us in, uh, that will enable us to do so. That is what we have in Ephesians 3, 14 to 19. And then verses 20 and 21 will give us the foundation upon which we stand, which is going to build the rest of the things we're going to see in chapters 4, 5, and 6. So the first thing the apostle did when he saw the deficit in the lives of the Ephesian Christians, they were Christians. They were believers. But Paul was able to to see and to observe something missing in their lives. So the first thing he did was what you and I should do. Pray. Pray. I sat with an older minister this past week. And he looked into my eyes and he said, Winston, I have something I want you to help me with. And he unveiled to me a situation that is not only touchy, technical, but can be devastating in its, if it's handled incorrectly. And as I listened to this, this older friend of mine, a minister himself, I said to him, the first thing one must do in handling something like this is the care, the degree of care will tell by the degree of prayer that is done before anything is done about it. Because we can all, we can all see. We all, we all have the ability to see and we see with the eyes. But the spiritual person, the spiritual man or woman sees not simply with the eyes, they see through the eyes. They go to a depth degree that is not there. This is what Paul did. Here's what I mean by the depth. Look at his posture in prayer. Look at his posture in prayer. He was talking to Christians who were concerned about what he was going through. He was talking about the greatness of what has been promised. And so when we come to chapter 3, verse 14, he's saying something like this, For this reason, whatever the reason is, I see the reason is twofold. The deficit in their lives and the greatness of the promises from chapter 1. There is a reason why he's in this posture. And look at the degree to which he cares. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. For this reason, I bow my knees. Ladies and gentlemen, we do not bow our knees to someone we think is less than we are. The only time we will bow the knees is when someone, we sense the greatness. We sense the majesty. I I was looking at the news earlier this morning from Canada. And and Queen Elizabeth is about to celebrate her 60th year as the Queen of England. And, And I remember when, oh my, should I tell you? I remember when she became the queen. I remember where she was. 
I remember what she was doing. And King George VI died. And Princess Elizabeth was in South Africa. She was on a tour as a girl guide. And because she was the oldest of the family, she was brought back and she was crowned the queen. And one of the first things that was done when she was crowned is that the person holding the mace went before her and bowed the knees. He would not have done that a week before. But what, what Paul has discovered, Paul has discovered the greatness of God, even though he is the father the the source of all things that are necessary. Paul did not take the fatherhood of God to mean that he could be a pal or a buddy with God to the place where he loses his sense of the greatness of the majesty and the splendor of who God was. We are in that position today, ladies and gentlemen. God has become, we have become so free, we have become so familiar, we have become so sociable with God that very few of us, even when we pray, will bend the knees. You see, it is a posture of submission. It is a posture of, of being in the presence of greatness. And if you think this is not important, if you read Luke 22 when Jesus is in Gethsemane, when he took his disciples in order to pray with them, we find the Son of God on his knees. Even God the Son in his incarnation goes to his Father on his knees. The degree of maturity will be the degree and our posture in prayer when we sense weaknesses and deficits in the lives of other Christians. Not critiquing, not condemning, we leave that to God because we soon realize that in the presence of one so great, there is potential in my own life to do what they have done or to lack what they lack. The posture of submission. I love reading the book of James. Someone has said that the book of James is the Proverbs of the New Testament. Because it is so practical. James is a half-brother of our Lord. And when James died, it is said that there were big calluses on his knees. So the nickname that they had for James, his contemporary had for James, was Camel Knees. Camel Knees. Because he spent so much time on his knees Before God the Father. Let me ask a very serious question, friends. Have you ever spent any time on your knees for someone else? For another Christian? Uh, For someone you don't get along with? Because it might be a lot easier to do it for someone you get along with. But what about someone you don't get along with? You know that person is a Christian. Paul said to the Corinthians, I, when I should be talking to you as mature Christians, i got to talk to you as babes. And yet he called them brethren. 
brethren. You see, if my spirit is standing before God, telling God how good I am when compared to somebody else, God will not hear me. Because God does not deal with pride. He deals with humility. He said, that's the person I'm with. The person who bows the knees to me. But that's not only the posture of submission. There was the posture of servitude. Look in verse 16. I pray that he would grant you. He's not there for himself. He is there because he knows that what is lacking in the lives of the Ephesian Christians, only God can provide. And God is the father of the church. He is the father of Christians. And so Paul goes to God and he says, I pray that he will grant you. Again, we we hear this in Scripture. James 5.16, pray for one another. The greatest prayer in the Bible is in John 17. We call it the Lord's Prayer because Jesus is praying. What we usually call the Lord's Prayer is really the disciples' prayer. And that whole prayer In the presence of God, the Lord Jesus is praying in the wilderness. The whole prayer is on the behalf of others. He begins his prayer by telling the Father how wonderful his plan of salvation is. And then he says, Father, I pray not only for these, but I pray for those who will believe on me and you because of their life, because of their prayers, because of their proclamation of the truth. I pray for them. And Father, I pray that they will be where I am, that they might see how much you love me. The whole prayer is on behalf of others. But he's not simply praying, my friends, for something having to do with this life. He's praying on the behalf of these Christians that that they might come to understand something about God that will make life livable. We'll see this in a minute. You know, I, I think of this over and over again. We only need to know how to do it. Think again how people... Uh, by the way, let me ask this question rather than saying this. When was the last time someone sent you a request to pray for their spiritual strength? To pray for their growth in their faith? To pray that they might come to know Jesus better? Not that any other request is wrong. But my friends, we we go to God constantly, constantly. And sometimes we are troubled by the fact that we have so many requests about other things, but not about, or someone put it, we always want the hands of God, but we don't want his face. Jesus prayed. The highest prayer was for others, that they might be kept from Satan. That they might be kept from sin. That they might know what unity is. 
that they might be with him in heaven. All through the prayer, it was for others. For others. A posture of, of, of servitude. I am on my face before God. For my wife. For my husband. For my children. For my church. For my co-worker. For my neighbor. I'm on my face before God. Because only God can, can really provide what is lacking in their lives. A posture of servitude. But then Paul brings us to the second part of this. I call this the prayer in his posture. And, and I get this from James chapter 5 verse 17. In, in, in James chapter 5 verse 17, we're told that Elijah was a man subject to like passion. And the word passion there is nature. Like passion as you and I are. And he prayed earnestly. Now if you have a King James translation, and you look at verse 17 of, of James 5, you will look at the word earnestly, and it will give you a little number. And if you look in the center reference, you'll see this expression for earnestly. He prayed in his prayer. He prayed in his prayer. Interesting thought. In other words, what, what, what James is saying, that when Elijah was in that posture, he was in communion with God. He, he was not mumbling things. He was not searching for something to say. His posture was an expression of his engagement with God. Before communing, communication, I want you to just hear me out for a minute, friends. One of the things we want to do is not just to say our prayers. We want to pray in our prayer. David said it again and again. He asked God to hear the voice of my supplication. Let my prayers come to you. This is not just something. I think the most beautiful expression of this is in the book of 1 Samuel. Where Hannah is grieving in her soul because God has withheld her from being a mother. And Hannah goes with, to the temple with her husband. And Samuel's mother-to-be goes by herself. And she posture herself. And as she posture herself, Eli, the priest, comes over and said to Hannah, when are you going to stop drinking? That's what she said. When are you going to stop drinking? And Hannah said this. My posture is not out of drunkenness. My heart is heavy and I am unloading to God. I am seeking God in this posture. This is not a woman who is out of control. This is a woman who wants God to be in control. The posture. So what is Paul doing? 
in his posture, here's what he's praying for others. First, he prays for spiritual strength. Look in verses 16 and 17. I pray that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner person. Paul is is saying, what I'm praying for is that there will be an inward operation of God's spirit so that your Christian life is lived from within out. Not trying to make a show for anybody, but the Spirit is doing things in you that's giving you strength to walk, to live, to love as you ought to love. What kind of a love is this? Look at, look at what Paul is praying. That you might be strengthened in the inner man so that you might, you might know the presence of Christ with his love that is rooted and grounded. The length, the breadth, the height, the depth. This is what I'm praying. That you might come to understand something of this, this, this love of God that is so beyond anything that you can even put in your mind. You don't even know what it's like. Do you have anyone, my friends, that way that you're praying for right now? Do you have anyone who's concerned for, in, in your heart is that they might know inward spiritual strength so that they might truly know the presence of Christ because only Christ in you can give you that kind of love? Spiritual strength. The Father is the source of spiritual strength and spiritual strength is given us to enable to walk like Him. Jesus said to His disciples, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. This is realized through faith. This is not some, you don't need to go to some meeting for this. You don't need to have some special touch for this. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him and we walk by faith. God has promised in his word to give us what we need to live. And when we lack what is there, my friends, that leads to difficulties in the Christian life. That leads to conflict among Christians. We must know it ourselves if we are to pray for others that they might be strengthened in their inner self. Do you know what it is to be strengthened in the inner self? Let me tell you, I I know of many, many stories, but I can only think of one that always grips my heart every time I think of it. The founder of the Navigators. in Scroon Lake, New York. He's a speaker. He's sharing the gospel with people at that retreat. One day, someone ran to him and said, someone was drowning in that lake. And he ran to rescue that person only to come to his own death. Someone ran to his wife 
and said, your husband is gone. Your husband is gone. He's drowned. And she looked with a sense of beauty glowing from her face. She said this, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's spiritual strength. And my friends, you and I may say, that's impossible. That's because we don't have it ourselves. That's because we walk by sight. When we walk by faith, my friends, when there is spiritual strength, when Christ is present with us, when his spirit is at work in us, we develop. In fact, let me go quickly to what I call spiritual surging. You know what it is to surge? The other day I had some problems with my computer. And like I do, I just call Albany. <laughs> call my daughter. I said, honey, this thing is stuck. It won't go anywhere. No matter what I do. Uh, the last thing I was going to try, I was going to throw it through the window. But that would not work. <laughs> and I told her what was happening. And she said, okay, dad. He said, she said, lift the computer. It was a laptop. There's a little thing underneath. Just pull that thing down and you'll get the battery. I said, oh, that's where the battery is. <laughs> I knew there was a battery, but I didn't know where it was. I really didn't. And Heather said, okay, pull it out. And all the time I am sweating bullets. I really was. I've never done that before. In fact, the one thing I've done before is just, just unhitch you know, the switch. And she said, this won't work with a laptop, Dad. So she told me what to do. And so I pulled the thing out. And she said, okay. Just give it about 10 seconds. Which I did. And here's a sweaty part. Put it back in. I did. She said, now turn it on. And it worked. See? There was a surge. <laughs> and, and Paul is saying the Christian life is like that computer. Sometimes we are stuck. And we need a, a spiritual surge. This is where the Spirit of God and the Word of God comes in. We need a surge. We need, we need a new depth of input from the Spirit of God. And so he said this spiritual surge is this. Listen to what the surge is. You, you need to surge in your knowledge of God. Verses 18 and 19. So that this, so that Christ being rooted in grounded love may be able to comprehend, may be able to move toward, able to comprehend what is, what belongs to God, what belongs to you. The knowledge. God says, My people suffer because of the lack of knowledge. Things you hear, my friends, that are so unscriptural yet come across to us as though it is God-given when the Bible teaches against it. Knowledge. We do not believe in a vacuum. We have substance to our faith. We have history for our faith. And Paul is saying there needs to be a surge of knowledge. You need to come to understand, to comprehend. Your mind needs to be occupied with great things about God and God great things for us. So you need 
to surge in knowledge. You need to surge in love. You need to come to know what is the breath, breath and what is the length. But look at Paul. Look at what he says at the end of verse 18. Uh, verse 19. That you might come to all the fullness of God. Can, can you believe that? That you might come to the fullness of God? You know, Jesus speaking to the disciples at the end of the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount, he said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And the first thing you say is, nobody can be perfect. Then are you saying that he's lying then? See, what he means is this. Make your reach for that which belongs to God. I know that when you come to worship, you are coming to know the unknowable. You're coming to comprehend the incomprehensible. But that's what your aim should be. Don't aim low. Aim for God himself. And Paul says you're going to move from one step to the other. You will move. When, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became mature, this is the whole idea. That I might come to the fullness John chapter 1 verse 16 says, it is out of his fullness that we receive. Don't be satisfied with simply struggling in your Christian life again and again and again, especially as it relates to other people. Know that there is a depth that you can go to. Know that there's a depth they can go to. And know there's a depth that you can pray for. I, I, always, I always think of this. When, when I got married and, and, and my wife was coming down the aisle, I, was, I sang to her into the heart of Jesus, deeper and deeper we'll go, seeking to know the reason why he should love us so. Into the heart of Jesus, and how easy it is, my friends, for us to begin and not to continue. We come to faith in Christ and we now know we're going to heaven. And there's a fullness for us to know before we get to heaven. In fact, someone puts this, this is when I love it. God intends for heaven to come to us long before we go to heaven. The fullness. How can you live this way? It's his fullness. Out of his fullness, I am receiving. The mature Christian receives out of the fullness to God so that he or she can bend his or her knees on the behalf of others for God to fill them as he's filling that individual. More can be said, but my time is just about gone. Look at the person to whom he prays. Look at his capacity. His capacity. Verse 20, now, now, Paul is just overcome by the greatness of what he's been saying. So he says, now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Huh. The capacity that the one to whom we are praying. I, I tell people, you know, my favorite verse in, in Scripture is from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, to Revelation chapter 22. 
But I have certain verses that I like. They, they just seem to, to, to grip my heart. Listen to Jesus in John 10. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it abundantly. Do you believe that? L listen, listen, listen to Paul. God, who spared not his own son, but gave him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? What a promise. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But do you love that person? Do you love that neighbor? Do you love that co-worker? <laughs> Gary Chapman has just written a book called The Seven Love Language of, of, of Work. You know, he has one, The Seven Love Language of Marriage, but he's just written one on work. And one of the first things he said, 61% of the people who leave their jobs is because they do not feel appreciated. 61%. What, what this is saying, friends, may no one have to leave a job because of me. Because if I live on the fullness of God, this God who is able to do above what I am able to ask or think, so that if I ask that God gives me the ability to live with that person, to relate to that person, to love that person. He is going to do more than I'm asking or even thinking about. That's the capacity of our God. He's not some tribal God that depends upon what's going on so that he can pick up the pieces. He's able. He's able. The word able is, is dealing with, with God almightiness. Quickly, Genesis 18, 14. Is anything too hard for God? Nothing is beyond God. Jeremiah 32, 17. Nothing is too difficult for you. Matthew 19, 28. With God all things are possible. And the great one in Luke 1, 37. When Mary said, how can this be? The angel said, Nothing is impossible to God. Again, much, much more could be said. Nothing that we take to God can stop. God never has to do this. Oh, I have to, I have to, I got to have a conference about this one. This is one that I have never encountered before. God never has to do that, friends. When faith goes to God, it must go with the confidence that this God to whom we are praying, in the words of the old Negro spiritual, he has the whole world in his hands. He has you and me, brother, in his hands. He has you and me, sisters, in his hands because nothing is impossible when you put your trust in God. I believe that. And I trust that you do. Look at his centrality. Paul said, if this God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think, now to him be glory in the church so that the church is not concerning himself about itself. 
the centrality of this God. God is the one to whom we pray. God is the one we express to one another. Now to him be glory. The church is not, is not consumed with pride and with prejudice or any of those things. Its centrality is in God so that it recognizes that its life comes from God. And here's what Paul is saying. In Jesus Christ, he glorified the Father on earth. And when Jesus Christ is the center of the church, when God is the center of the church, glory will go to God all the time. Glory will go to God. Glory. I, I love, every time I think of this, I think of Corey Temboom. Someone asked her, Tem, uh, Corey, Corey, how, can you, how do you handle all the, the, the well wishes, the praise you get for your life and what you're doing? And I love this. Corey said, every time someone pays me a compliment, I imagine that I'm making that compliment into a rose, R-O-S-E. And at the end of the day, I take all those rows and make them into a bouquet and give them to God. To Him be glory. Listen, friends. One of the things that the church ought to be is to so register itself in someone else that people will say, you must really love Him to want to give Him glory all the time. And why? Because to him it belongs. I am living now beyond the place where I want recognition for myself. Every act of holiness, every virtue we possess are his and his alone. To him be glory in the church. Amen. Oh God, I pray that this congregation will be that kind of a congregation where when we see the deficit in the lives of others, we immediately bend our knees on their behalf. And we ask God to supply for our friends, our brothers, our sisters, what they need to be able to overcome that deficit. And when we see that deficit overcome, to God be the glory now and forevermore. <clears throat> Amen.